They've already put tissues up here for me. <laughs> I have my iPad and I printed my notes. So I am double prepared. <laughs> okay. I, I have a word that kind of goes along the lines with the Guard Your Heart seminar that I did four years ago, three, four, three. Anyway, I love this word. And, it, and it's not like it's something really special, but it speaks to me. And every time I want to read a little bit of my testimony or see how God has been so faithful, I read it. And then I add to it. <laughs> and God has made it new every time. When I did this seminar, I thought that, I really thought that this word was for the church. But it, it just never came to fruition. Um, until now. I'm so excited for, for those that have heard it, because it's new again. For those that have, haven't heard it, I'm excited to share with you. I am nervous. I, I speak to women all the time, not that, you know, that I appreciate and every now and then amen and hallelujah if, uh, if you feel so needed. So anyway, I want to pray. <laughs> My Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to share about you. And I just pray that this word will multiply across generations and all races, that this world will hear your word and they will hear how much you love us. Amen. So what's the first thing you think of when you hear the words, Guard your heart. On a physical way, it is, well, you need to protect your heart, so you need to work out. You need to do some cardio. Um, eat right. But there's also a spiritual connotation to guarding your heart. Some people will envision, I'm going to take my heart out and just put it in this cage, lock it up, no one can hurt me. Or I'm going to put a wall around there. But there's a better way. And so we're going to dig right in. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this. Um, we need to guard our hearts from anything that can pollute, defile, or compromise our relationship or walk with the Father. And I think she put it up there for me, so if I spoke too fast. So why do we need to guard our hearts? Have you ever had a mom say, I do it because I said so? Or a dad say, do it because I said so? The Lord tells us in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your hearts for everything you do flows from it. We expect our kids to trust our judgment when we say do it. And here's the Lord saying, do it. Now I want to read Proverbs 4.23 again, but in the message, 
I love just the choice of words in this one. It says, keep can't talk. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. We all want an amazing life, and this is where it starts, he says. We pray that the Lord would continuously pour into our hearts so that what we pour out of our hearts is of him. So in that message, that word vigilant is the one that I want to focus on. The definition of vigilant is keeping careful watch for possible danger or difficulties. There's a reason that the Lord is saying vigilant watch. So we'll get to that. So he tells us that he wants us to guard our hearts because he wants our hearts to be his. He longs for our hearts to be his. So I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 29:13. Um, God is speaking to the people of Israel. And he says, um, then the Lord said, people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service. But they remove their hearts from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. So I looked at that word rote, and it means mechanical or habitual repetition of something to be learned. A repetition, just going through the motions. How many of you learned how to spell Mississippi in school? And you go, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. I still do it when I'm writing it, just to make sure I don't make a mistake. But it's just, it's that repetition of learning. You're just on autopilot. The synonyms of rote are mechanically, automatically, unthinkingly, and mindlessly. Do you hear the hurt in that verse when he says, but you've removed your hearts from me? He's longing for our hearts, but we've tainted our praise with repetitious repeating of prayers, going through the motions, just like at the dinner table. Bless this food, Lord. Amen. We're losing that connection with God, that connection that he wants and longs for, and it's why we were created. Merely going to church does not make that heart connection either. But in Joel 2.12, he says, even now, give me your heart. It's never too late. Amen. So the second reason why guarding your heart is so important, the physical heart is a vital organ. You could probably survive without an arm, lose a few toes, but your heart is what pumps life into your body. Your body needs the steady supply of blood going through your body that provides oxygen. And without oxygen, your cells will die. If it doesn't circulate through your body, you will die. A blow to the heart 
is the most catastrophic, and we need to protect it at all costs. So my first husband, Gary, had a massive heart attack almost four years ago at the age of 49. During the four weeks that he was in ICU, I had the unfortunate opportunity of learning what happens to the body when the heart is compromised. His lungs started to fill with fluid, and his kidneys started to shut down. The kidney's function is to filter out the blood and take out the waste. Just like Jesus' blood has removed our sin and exchanged our penalty of death for life. The result of the heart attack was a multi-organ failure and then death. That one blow to the artery in his heart compromised the functions of his entire body and he was no longer able to thrive. So I've told you about the physical heart. What about the spiritual heart? What if your spiritual heart was compromised? How effective would you be as a spouse or parent, a friend? For me as a singer, if my heart were damaged, my lungs would eventually collapse and I wouldn't be able to lead worship. If my kidneys failed, other wastes of life would settle in my bloodstream and contaminate my entire being. So the, the waste of life can be sadness, depression, unworthiness, lonely, anger, resentment, or jealousy. You could keep going on. There's a whole list of wastes, but they're all crippling to the function of your body as a whole. So if my heart is continued to be compromised, then my brain will stop receiving oxygen and will cause irreparable damage. You become ineffective when your heart is damaged. The third reason to guard your heart is because the Bible says that Satan wants to destroy you. So I want to tell you a quick story about my daughter when she was six. She had a very impressionable spirit. She was very um, sensitive to things. And so, you know, with children, when you tell them about life, you know, and the Bible, you just take it up a little bit, take it up a notch based on their age. And she was very sensitive um, about Satan, but I felt that she was being attacked in certain areas. And so we, we had another talk, kind of that next notch up. And I told, we discussed Adam and Eve and the serpent and how he could come in and just come in with those lies. And she hadn't really, she knew about the devil. She knew about the story of the snake, but put the snake and the devil, she hadn't made that correlation yet until this conversation. So she's asking me all sorts of questions that a normal six-year-old would. And then she asked me a question that blew me away. She said, 
Is Satan blind? I, I, I don't think so. Why? <laughs> That's an odd question to think about. Is Satan blind? And her answer was, well, he has to be blind if he doesn't love the Lord. Wow, okay. So he is blind. If you think about it, maybe Satan is blind. From what? I mean, what caused him to be so blind? And it's hate and jealousy. Satan knows the Bible says that he loses in the end. So why does he continue to deceive and destroy? Revenge can be a dangerous thing when someone has nothing to lose. There's even a show on TV called Revenge. This girl is out to get this family that wronged her in some way. And every, at the end of every episode, she got a little bit closer, a little bit, just getting a little bit more, but she was never satisfied. I imagine Satan that way. He is not satisfied until he takes you down. In John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. So we know the devil will do anything to destroy us. Where do you think he's aiming? He's aiming where it's going to do the most damage and the most hurt. He will stop at nothing to derail you, to wear you down, and destroy you. That word devil means slanderer. To slander is to do more than to accuse or speak evil of one to another. Literally, the word devil means one who puts himself or something in between two in order to divide them. Satan's goal is not just to speak evil, but to divide us. He seeks to divide spouse from spouse, children from parents, race from race, and children, or church from church. He will use unresolved issues from the past. Wow, talk about 2020. Talk about all the division. I'm not saying Satan created COVID, but he certainly used that opportunity. The, div the division has been so great. That's why we need to guard our hearts. So how do you ensure that you are protected from the devil's schemes? You need to know God's voice because Satan is real. And learning his voice, studying his word, and following him. In uh, Hebrews 5.4, it says that a mature Christian will be able to distinguish between sound and unsound doctrine. So I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to come up here and recommend a book for you to read other than the Bible. Yes, there are other great Christian books out there, amazing books. I read them. But when I study the Lord, it's the Word. 
because I want to hear his voice and his voice only. All right, in James 4, 7 through 10. So let God work in you. This is the message version. Let me back up a second. <laughs> I'm going to read it the way I read it the first time, and it was just like, yes! Because there's this attitude in there. It was just like, I just love it. <laughs> so, okay, here we go. So let the Lord work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. I'll come back to that in a minute. It was a full month of turmoil with Gary in the ICU. To backtrack a bit, I had been praying for seven years for his healing of depression, anxiety, and PTSD. I was losing my husband way before the heart attack. I had prayed fervently that he be made whole, and then the heart attack happened. I continued to pray that he be made whole. I didn't know how the Lord was going to do it, but I knew he could. My favorite song that I listened to over and over during this time was Do It Again. We sang it this morning when I saw it on the list. I'm like, yes, Lord. <laughs> I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way. When there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. Amen. I have two kids that doctors say shouldn't be here. I know he can heal my husband. I know he can. But after Gary died, that's when the enemy tries to come in. And he would sneak in those lies and say, that song wasn't for you. You did this to Gary. You pulled the plug. It's your fault he died. You prayed that he be made whole, and, and uh, the only way to do it was in heaven. And so what do I do? Back that verse that I just read, I yelled, Satan, No. And all I had to do was whisper and say, Holy Spirit, I need you right now. Had I not purposefully put the word of the Lord in my heart and known his voice, I don't know that I would have recognized that that was the enemy talking to me. I know he's faithful, and he will do it again. I just don't know what his miracles will look like. I know I have two miracle children, and I've been blessed with a second husband that loves me dearly. 
So I'm going to tell you a quick story again. I love stories. It, I feel like it just brings things to life, and that's how God speaks to me. So when you hear me talk, I tell stories. So we would frequently have snakes. Well, we still do, actually. I just chased one off the morning of my wedding. Um, but <laughs> we back to open space, and so they're always coming in. They're helping with our rabbits, you know, so we can coexist. But when my kids were little, you, you don't come in my yard. So we would take them and, you know, just catch them and throw them over the fence. Like, that's going to do anything. They would just come right back. <laughs> and we would release them again, and they come back. I remember one time we put them in a pillowcase and drove two miles and dropped it off. But they kept coming back. They were relentless. After catching and releasing a couple of them, we decided we needed a perimeter around our yard. So they have those granules that you can put around, and as soon as they come in contact with it, they turn away. I think they go looking for water or something. I don't care. They turn away. <laughs> they just go away. Now, when you accept Christ as your Savior, his blood is your perimeter around your heart. Satan cannot cross it. He'll certainly try. He will try. He will find weak spots. He wants to de destroy you and deceive you. He hates that you love the Lord and will do anything to deter you. Remember when I was talking about earlier how Satan has his need for revenge? That's Marie's version. But like that snake in my backyard, Satan is relentless, persistent, the devil will stop at nothing to derail you. He will try to wear you down in every way, mentally, physically, and spiritually. He will wait until you're at your weakest, and he will attack you and your family. In 2 Corinthians, we're warned about the enemy and his strategies, reminding us not to be ignorant of his schemes. The devil schemes to try and make you feel helpless and weary. When you get to that point, we, we kinda, we'll start pulling at strings that are just dangled in front of us. And so those false prophets that, oh, that sounds good, feeling good words, but no substance for relationship with the Lord. That's what I was talking about, about keeping your study in, in the word and, and not trusting books even though they're Christian authors, but not trusting them to tell you what the, the word says. So as believers, we are not slaves of Satan, but how quickly we can get entangled in the things that bind us into some pattern of thought or feeling. So don't let your perimeter of Christ's blood get weak because Satan will find it and will enter in and create havoc. So I have three points on how to maintain that perimeter around your heart. First is to put on the full armor of God. Just a basic armor. You need that when you're fighting, right? In Ephesians 6.13, it says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day 
and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know, many stop there, but the very next verse is, and pray. Very next verse, and pray. Pray without ceasing. Holding up that perimeter through prayer is the way to go in my book. <laughs> I believe nothing can penetrate the perimeter of Jesus' blood. It's that strong, but it's our weak flesh that can let that snake in. Talking with him daily will solidify and strengthen your relationship with the Lord. Prayer is when we exchange our ideas for his, and we align our desires with his desires. Like a bride and groom, we can become one and solidify that perimeter. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, I've talked about hiding his word in your heart. It is so important. You have to read the word in order for the Holy Spirit to bring it back to remembrance. You have to have read it. The greatest weapon against fear, the word of God. The greatest weapon against doubt, the word of God. The feeling of knowing the Lord is with you is priceless. Only God can give you perfect peace. Do you know that the same peace is a weapon to defeat the enemy? It says in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God will surpass all comprehension, and he will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know that Hebrew word shalom means peace? Well, before going into battle, they would pray, Shalom, shalom. Before going into battle, they're asking for that peace of the Lord to go before them. They're asking for the Lord to prepare a way for us. There's a confrontation, Lord. I pray your shalom, shalom peace over this situation. Lord, I pray your shalom, shalom peace over me losing my job. He is fighting battles on our behalf when we don't even know it, and he gives us a peace that passes all understanding through Christ. And that peace will guard our hearts. So the belt of truth, it was always put on first because that's what held up the breastplate. I mean, a soldier's armor weighed approximately 70 pounds, they believe. I can't imagine having all that extra stuff. But that belt of truth is what... You needed to, it was like a foundation to hold up your breastplate. The foundation of truth is your acknowledgement of your sin and shortcomings and that you cannot live without Christ. You must be grounded in his truth to support your righteous living, which leads me to the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to tell you another story. Um, it's from Priscilla Shire. 
this analogy of living a righteous life, I, I've not found another one better. So we're going to give credit to Priscilla. Um, so she, at the time, of, um, when I heard her say this, she was living in Texas. She has three boys. They were in a rural area where their neighbor across the street would, had a good sizable pond with a boat, a small fishing boat, you know, and it was stocked with fish. And you can, and this neighbor said, you can come over and come fishing whenever you want. So one day, she and her three boys went over there to go fishing. And they're not really catching much. And she's like, hey, why don't we go take that boat, go to the middle, and see if we can catch anything out there. Well, the boat is overturned, so that doesn't fill up with rainwater and whatnot. And she's going over there, she realizes, I'm going to turn this boat over. Inevitably, something is going to crawl out, hop out, waddle out, or worse, slither out. She never had to say, hey, critters, there's a boat right over here that you could just go hang out. Just go right in. She didn't send out any party invitations and say, here's a great place for you to hang out. But it was that cool, damp environment that they already love and they will find. That environment created by the upside-down boat was invitation enough. Righteousness is right-side-up living. Unrighteousness is upside-down behavior that creates an environment that invites the enemy to come in and make himself at home. When you choose not to live in alignment with the will of God, you create that upside-down life and invite Satan in. Encourage him to wreak havoc in your life. Righteousness is not about being a perfect Christian. It is an everyday choice. It is choosing a lifestyle to live your life in alignment with the Word of God. So when you gird yourself in truth, it means that you're affirming God's standard on your life. Being righteous means aligning your behavior to the truth that you say you affirm. You cannot proclaim you love Jesus in here and then walk out and deny him and wonder why things aren't going right. If you find the fingerprint of the enemy on your life, then maybe you need to take a look and see where, which way your boat is fixated. Ask yourself, if your boat is upside down in any way, what do you need to realign so that it's with the word of God? So Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, the Lord's authority, with the Lord's authority I say this, live no longer as Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God that gives him, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Christ and have learned the truth that comes from him, 
Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So I heard a story about an atheist. He'd had this dream, and he sees this figure, this person, and he's like, I know that it was Jesus. Just based on his persona, there was just something about him. I knew it was Jesus. And then I see another figure, and it was the devil. You know, he didn't have the red face and the horns and the pitchfork. He was actually quite inviting, but I knew he was the devil. And they asked me to choose a side. So I chose what I wanted to do, and I sat on the fence. Jesus went away. And then I turn, and I see that the devil's still there. I'm like, hey, wait, why are you still here? I chose what I wanted to do. You don't get it. I own the fence. He owns the fence, y'all. I know I'm up here, and, and this, is, this is hard stuff to take in sometimes. It seems very exclusive and very harsh. But it's the word of God, and it's the truth. And if you want to follow Christ, you need to pick a side. It is a daily choice. It is, I've not figured it out. I reread my notes from three years ago to get more. I mean, it's a choice every morning. All right, another way to guard your heart, or keep, maintain your perimeter, rather. Number two, be careful with what seeds you allow to take root in the garden of your heart. Not all seeds bear good fruit, and you risk losing that familial connection with the Lord. There are many ways in our daily walk that we can knowingly or unknowingly let Satan have influence over us. You've heard that saying, input, output. It is so true. What kind of TV shows or movies are you watching? What about music? Guard your heart and mind by what you put in. If there's a check in your spirit or you just don't feel right about seeing a certain movie, it's the Lord saying, don't let Satan in. Trust me. Stay with me. Abide with me. The world is enamored with sin. There's even a saying, it feels so good to be bad, or that girl's naughty, and it's supposed to be good. I mean, I went to the mall over, it was Christmas time a few years back, but I remember looking in um, this, I don't remember what store, but um, in the awning they had this, these, those mylar balloons, they were gold, and it had said, hashtag naughty. That's all harmless. We could all say, oh, that's harmless. But it just leads to the next thing. 
tell you my favorite eye makeup. All of their names are Sin, Scorched, Dirty Talk. They just simply imply. Now, I'm not saying don't wear the eyeshadow because you know I am. I'm, my primer this morning, I think, is uh, Sin. <laughs> what I'm saying is to be aware. The enemy will use anything to distract you or tempt you. Satan knows the Bible, says he loses in the end. He also knows what your potential is when you have Christ all over you. His deception all started in the Garden of Eden. So be careful what seeds you allow to root in your garden. So Satan cannot be omnipresent like the Lord. So I just imagine him dropping seeds every now and then as he's around. And he chooses those times to drop a seed and say, I'm just going to leave this right here. And then we take it in and we cultivate it. Fear and worry are big seeds that are just dropped in. Just, oh, you need to worry about this. And then we pull it in and we nurture it and say, yes, I need to be worried about this. I'm so afraid of what's going to happen. And we take that seed and think, I need this. I'm going to hold on to this and obsess over it, make it my identity, thereby giving it root and allowing it to grow. We're just playing into the devil's games. Shout no to the devil and whisper, Holy Spirit, I need you. All right, my last point. Make the Father number one over everything. So you're familiar with the model prayer in Matthew 6 when we proclaim, Hallowed be your name. That word Hallowed is declaring that he's above all, that he's number one in your life. You know how I love to say all is like an absolute. I don't allow my kids to say you always or you never, but all is an absolute. We need to make them... Lord over all. So when you ask the Lord to bless you and you want his name to be glorified, are you agreeing that he's above everything in your life and that you want him to bless you as you watch a sinful TV show or movie? Do you want him to bless your time of gossiping? Do you want him to bless your adulterous lifestyle? or when you're spewing out hateful things about someone. To guard your heart, the Lord must be first in all things. In Philippians, Paul prayed that God would be glorified, whether in his life or death. His prayer was spot on, not vague. It was fervent, passionate, and clear. That you be glorified. Hallowed be your name whether I live or die. Once we get a hold of this prayer, we are released from all doubt about what we should pray for. Many prayers will wither and die on our lips because they are not for his glory. Once God is glorified, our hearts will rise with triumphant faith flowing from pure motives. Lord, be glorified in this situation. Lord, be glorified when I confront this person. 
be glorified as I deal with a broken down car. Lord, be glorified even in the death of my husband. The rest of that prayer is, your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our hearts must be set on obedience to this wonderful will and plan of God. As we surrender to his will, we find the power of a new heart, which includes a new will flowing into us, working in us to his will and to do his good pleasure. I know today, being Father's Day, is hard for some. Mark touched on it earlier. I've been incredibly blessed with an amazing Christian father. But maybe your father wasn't loving. Or maybe he abandoned you. Or maybe he did his best and it just wasn't good enough. This last point, making the Father number one, might be hard to swallow if you refer to your earthly father as an example. If your father did not or does not know Christ, then all he can give you is flesh. Flesh is flawed. Flesh neglects. And the Bible says that the flesh will profit you nothing. In Hebrews 13.5, he promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. So if you have proclaimed Jesus as your Lord and King over your life, then you're born again. Another way I love to look at it is you've been refathered. You have a new father. He is perfect. You don't have to let the hurts from the world rule your life when you have a perfect heavenly Father who loves you, who will never hurt you, forsake you, or leave you. It makes it hard to pray on earth as, in, as is in heaven when you allow an earthly Father to rule your life. Jesus modeled it so beautifully when he would often leave the disciples to go pray and be with his Father. You want to have that lifeline. We must consistently connect with our Heavenly Father. I painted the Christian life really hard, and it is. But it is so victorious. It is so worth it. The heart of the matter is that you have to make a choice. Choose to remain in Him. Study His Word. Ponder His presence. He is faithful and true to his word. He sent the Holy Spirit to support you, and he longs for your heart. He longs for that heart connection. If you feel that your heart has been damaged or compromised, give it to him. God's plan does not include you trying to get yourself out. It doesn't work that way. He is the one that heals the brokenhearted. My final scripture for this morning is Ezekiel 36, 26. 
and I will give you a new heart. And I will put in you a new spirit. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. You know what he's describing here? It's a heart like his. Notice how he says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. We want our hearts to be like his, but only he is the one that can change our hearts. In this promise, Jesus is telling you that he took care of it all. You've been saved by grace. Now let him release your chains. You can't do it on your own. God sent his son for you. If you're feeling bound by lies, give it to him. I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. I know this this message is a lot of self-examination. And I know it's better to just close your eyes for a moment and, and do that. And say, Lord, do your work. Do your work. If there's anyone here that has not made Jesus Lord over their lives, and you want to make that decision this morning, I ask that you raise your hand. We're going to have someone up here to pray with you, to love on you, to pray over you. You cannot get out on your own. He wants all your shame. He wants all your sin. That is what he died on the cross for. But it takes our willingness to give it over to him.